Podcast with me, Phil. And me, Paul. And on this week's show, we're going to be discussing Target again because this time we're doing a third Doctor story and it is the Dinosaur Invasion. We'll give it its, its full title Doctor Who and the Dinosaur Invasion, uh, which uh, you should know was Invasion of the Dinosaurs on the TV. Why they, why the little switch around of words, I don't know. Um, anyway, let's get on with it. News. Let's have some news, shall we? We've actually got quite yeah. a bit, haven't we? We have, yes. For a change, yeah, we have got quite a bit. Um, it's kind of a feast or famine, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing in between for us, is there? Absolutely nothing. Um, yeah, now, we I think it was on the last... I don't know if it was the last podcast, we did or not, we sort of alluded that John Barron was saying that there was... It was a few weeks ago now, wasn't it? It wasn't the last episode, I don't think, about Torchwood Audio Plays. No. Can't remember. I honestly can't remember. But after... Um, obviously, we were on a, on a break week... Uh, last week, um, it was announced that Big Finish are going to produce the new Torchwood audio plays. So um, it wasn't just wishful thinking on John Barrowman's part again, was it? No, yeah, yeah. He, he was saying that he was going to be back in some form, didn't he? He did, he did. So um, not just the voices in his head. <laughs> so it looks like we're getting the um, the first uh, Torchwood story in September this year, um, and there's a there's, which is going to be Torchwood the Conspiracy. So it doesn't actually say at the moment whether it's um, going to be the remaining or what was the Torchwood cast at the time. Uh, yeah, because it says there's a new, the new series of audio dramas will each focus on different members of the Torchwood team. Hmm. Well, considering technically that there was only two of them left last time. Exactly. Um, it's yeah. yeah are, are these going to be set before Children of Earth or before the end of the second series? Series, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming so. Um, or, and are or are they, we just going to get a new cast? To... And they're just going to ignore Torchwood Miracle Day. Because <laughs> I have. <laughs> <laughs> You've tried, haven't you? I have tried indeed. I have tried indeed. Um, so it looks like it's going to be um, six instalments for this. So as I said, the first one's going to be released in September this year, and the remaining five will be um, following monthly, it says here, from January 2016. Um, I'll probably listen to them because I, I quite enjoyed the other Torchwood audio plays. They did a sort of like free podcasts on the BBC. Yeah, no, they, they were good. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be quite looking forward to uh, to these actually. Um, maybe it, it's the, it's just the new lease of life that it needs. Really, I think it's very expensive to to do on television. Well, it is when you're doing what they were doing with that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think you know audio. You can do pretty much what you like, really. Yeah, and whether it can then breathe some new life into it that we can get back and have a, a television, another Children of Earth would be... Would be nice, actually. Yeah, because yeah. I, I, was, I was not a big fan of the, the Series 1 and 2 of, of Torchwood, if I'm honest. And, and then when Children of Earth came on, completely you know, blew me away. And then, of course, obviously Miracle Day came on and spot all that for me. So <laughs> Yeah. So here's hoping. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Well, now, the audio plays can just sort of have the intensity of that, you know? Yeah. In, cut down on having to rely on atmosphere and whatever. So. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you know, Big Finish have got a pretty sort of tight rein on their, um, um, on their sort of, I can say, their their product, I should say. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've, fingers crossed for this. Fingers crossed. Now, um, talking of Big Finish, um, the fourth Doctor stories then are going to be on BBC Radio 4 Extra. Now this is apparently this is going to be the first season of Big, Big Finish's uh, Fourth Doctor stories, uh, and they're going to start airing on Saturday the sixteenth of May at six pm, ah, which next is next week. Next week, yes, indeed. Um, I'm quite looking forward to this. I am as well, actually. Um, I think we've we've only we've covered one of them, haven't we? Energy of the yes. Daleks. Yes, we uh, we have done a review of that, so. Yeah. You want to wait until you've, if you haven't heard it, listen to it first before you listen to our review. <laughs> then see if you agree with us. Indeed. Now, this particular, the first story they're um, broadcasting is Destination Nerva, uh, which picks up straight after the events of the Talent of Wen Chiang, mm-hmm. which is uh, interesting. So it says here, um, after saying their goodbyes to Professor Lightfoot and Henry Gordon Jago, the Doctor and Leela respond to an alien distress call beamed direct from Victorian London. 
is the beginning of a journey that will take them to the newly built space dock Nerva, where a long overdue homecoming is expected. Hmm. So that sounds quite uh, quite interesting, actually. Yeah. I've, I haven't read any other reviews or heard anyone else talk about that particular story, so it, it will be completely new to me. Yes. As will the others, for that matter. So. <laughs> but no, that's good. That's good. I mean, what makes you wonder how many others they're going to sort of... They do this now and again, don't they, BBC Radio 4 Extra? So They do. So Because they've done it with the Fifth Doctor, they've done it with the Eighth Doctor, so I'm sort of hoping that there's, there'll be more to come after this but you know who knows who knows now um on to series nine news now it's been confirmed uh, since we were last here that uh, Gemma redgrave will be returning as kate lethbridge stewart in episodes seven and eight of the next series so um which i'm pleased about actually yeah i don't mind where does this where the because we've just gone from big talking about big finish and we had the Thing about that she was going to be there's going to be some unit stories centering around yes her I still don't when when are they released I can't um, remember now I can't remember was it next year it was well I don't think it was it this year honestly can't, I can't remember remember now whether it was late at the end of this year or well hang on there was a there was back in February when um, when that was uh, announced actually um, yeah just having a look here. And I can't quite find... During November this year. Yeah, so that would be roughly about the same sort of time as we get to 7 and 8, would it not? I would have thought so. Certainly Hmm. almost straight after. Now, will there be any? Unless these are sort of set in after the end of Series 8. Who knows? It could be anything. You know, We don't know what the timeline is, do we? I mean, they could be, for all we know, they could be set before the Power of Three. Yeah. You know, so um, yeah, who knows with that? But it, it, no, it's um, it's I'm, interesting. They are they are roughly. She's going to be in. You're going to have just gone from seeing her on the TV when they release the. It's slightly coincidental. It is a bit, isn't it? But no, that, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Um, but I'm I'm just I'm sort of glad she's come back. Actually, I think you know um, it, it needs a Lethbridge Stewart in the uh, in the series. Yes, and not a Cyberman version either. <laughs> no. I don't want to feel dirty again for watching that. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, another casting update for Series 9. Um, an actor, David Schofield, who should be sort of fairly familiar uh, to people because he's been in quite a few <laughs> quite a few things. He's been um, cast in Episodes 5 and 6 of the new series, um, which these episodes also feature Maisie Williams uh, from, there, from Game of Thrones. Episodes of the new series that don't seem to be two part. Well, no. Apparently, this is the thing for um, for series nine. Apparently, there it's actually made up of two parters, but it's more like um, I've had it dis- heard it described as single episodes with an overarching theme yeah. to make them two parters. So it's interesting, anyway. But um, I mean, David Schofield's. I mean, for, for horror fans out there, I, I mean, I really know him from American Wolf in London. We didn't say from footballers' wives. <laughs> well, no, apparently he was—he was in the—I don't remember—he was in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. I don't remember. He was in Gladiator. He was in Holby City, Jekyll and Hyde. He was in the Shadow Line, which was a recent TV series. Last of the Mohicans, he was in as well. Mm, I definitely don't remember him in that at all. But I just know him from American Wolf in London, just for saying you. Made me miss. When so, yeah. So it's a, probably the most threatening person I've ever seen at a dartboard, to be honest. Apart from, <laughs> apart from Jockey Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So right. anyway, anyway. Um, anyway, let's let's carry on. Um, now, as we were saying about um, series nine, it's been confirmed that it's going to be a twelve-episode run and a separate Christmas special, which we had last year. Um, what we don't know is is whether the first episode of Series 9 will, will have an extended um, runtime, as Deep Breath did last time. Well, the last episode. Mm, yes. So, I mean, I'm hoping... It could go either way. It could it? go either way, couldn't it? Um, oh, well, I just begins to wonder if it's going to get a cinema release again. I, I, I wonder if they would bother, to be honest, because there be there comes a point where, are oh, you just then... It's, it stops becoming a major thing. I think, you know, every now and then do one, but don't necessarily need do it to do every, it. Every, yeah. It, it just seems series. to be they need to sort of try and sort of, you know, 
top themselves all the time. Yeah. Each series. And I'm beginning to wonder, you know, whether they will do this again. Who knows? Who knows? But I mean, it does say that they, they're trying to do um, bigger and better stories, and which <laughs> that that sort of kind of worries me, to be honest. Yeah. Rather than being sort of bigger and louder, and you know, just concentrate on the story. I'll be just happy with that. I'll be I'll just be happy with just like a um, you know like a two hander story, to be honest. If you watch some, yeah. watching someone like Capaldi, if you had like an episode with Capaldi and Clara trapped in the TARDIS. For argument's sake, yeah, um, I'm not talking about journey to the center of the TARDIS because that was bloody awful. But um, no, you know, just those two because their, their interaction together is fantastic. I'd watch that for 45 minutes. Yeah, so I really would though. Yeah, so oh, oh well, we shall see what happens. We shall see what happens. But um, apparently, one thing that was, the, I think, there's one thing everybody complained about that wasn't addressed in Series Eight was that. Um, in deep breath, the Doctor was saying, why did I choose this face? And apparently we were supposed to get an explanation for it. Obviously, why does he look like Cecilius from Fars of Pompeii and also the character he played out of um, Children of Earth as well? Um, so apparently in Series 9, we're going to get that explanation. Hmm. Now, do you think we necessarily need one? No. It's one of those ones, isn't it, where you just don't really care? No. I mean... Honest, it doesn't need it. No, it doesn't. And, and, and he... And he any uh, reasoning to it is probably going to be disappointing. I think so. I think so. It, it's it's always better in your mind, isn't it? Um, yeah. But then again, did we need an explanation as to why the Sixth Doctor looks like Commander Maxill? Um, no, not particularly. I don't, no. need to, I don't particularly need to revisit that period either. No, exactly. Well, <laughs> it, it didn't. Doesn't need an explanation. It's just an actor was oh. cast. That's it. End of. I don't yeah. know why everyone needs. Everything has to. Be, <clears throat> excuse me. Everything has to be explained all the time. Yeah, you know, but uh, oh well, there we go, there we go. Um, now another quick bit of news is that Doctor Who is coming to FX India. Okay, yes. they've um, BBC Worldwide has signed a deal, so um, people in India can finally watch Doctor Who. But it's all um, series post two thousand and five. Okay, so it's all new Who basically, um, and that will be on their screens from the fifteenth of May. Yes, so uh, apparently FX is owned by. Uh, Star India Private Limited, and that they sort of broadcast to a million homes in the country. Oh, good. That's, so that's a, it's a, <clears throat> sounds a lot, but I'm not sure if that's necessarily. I don't think that's quite indicative of the amount of people. Yeah, or the population I'm, I'm of sure. India really is it? No, say, yeah. I mean, just really don't necessarily know. That's... No, it, it it probably is more indicative of those of the rich people. Yeah, living in India. Yeah. Um, but uh, oh well, my, my, I could be way off the mark there. But as you, as you say, it doesn't seem to be a lot, does it? Really? Um, but still, it, it, it's getting out there. It is. It is. That's the main thing. That's the main thing. Now, um, awards news: uh, Doctor Who won a, a BAFTA uh, for best special visual and graphic effects, and the that war went to Milk VFX, Real SFX, and BBC Wales VFX. So there was actually for the work on the series last year. So, yeah. uh, but apparently it's the second year running that Doctor Who's won the award, and it beats um, off competition from Atlantis, David Attenborough's Conquest of the Skies 3D, and Ripper Street. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, the scripts for David Attenborough's Conquest of the Skies. <laughs> it was good, the three. It? It, was it was the, the supporting actors that let that one down. It was, wasn't it? Plus, it was 3D as well. It's a fad, isn't it? You know. <laughs> Yeah, no, so, so congratulations to them. I and mean, they did do some um, absolutely sort of sterling work, I think, in Series 8. They really did from sort of like, you know, dinosaurs in Victorian London to miniaturised TARDIS. Yeah. You know, it was... Um, no, they, and, and I think that, I actually think their best work was the... <clears throat> so actually, the people that... Actually, again, from Flatline was the, the, the graffiti people that sort of came to life. Yeah. I've got, that, that was, you know, spectacularly creepy work. It really was. But uh, no, congratulations to them anyway. Congratulations. Now we've we've got some more um, sort of silly news, haven't we? Um, slightly offbeat. Offbeat. That's it. Who are the like? This is like the Richard Stilgo part of the podcast. Like, like, <laughs> like you still nationwide. You're going to sing and link all the items together. <laughs> I'll do a little witty satirical songs. I'm sitting on my piano. <laughs> oh dear. Now um. 
Now the <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely one for the kids, isn't it? <laughs> oh, isn't it? Isn't it? This really, that this really, we are now speaking to our generation, aren't we? With that one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, now, <laughs> now the uh, Durham Police Headquarters have done something rather quirky with their um, with their lift doors. Basically, designed the lift doors to look like the TARDIS. Yeah, um, I think it's quite a fun thing to do. Now, the um, <laughs> some people have complained about it, saying it is a waste of taxpayers' money. Um, but they said. <laughs> Since it's been Nigel Farage again, will it? Yeah, afterwards? probably is. Yeah, he's still going on about that, isn't he? He still wants to wants to can Doctor Who. The... No, no, and then he turned turned round now and says someone's pointed out to him that actually makes money, and he's saying, "Oh no, th- those programs are okay," but it's oh. it's what is it? It's Newsnight. He now wants to get rid of. Oh. So I think so. So one week he's saying get rid of the entertainment side of the BBC. So... Now he wants to get rid of the news side of it. <laughs> Not really oh, leaving. God. Well, as as we recalled, as we were recording. Um, Right now, it, the um, the UK is going to the polls, aren't they? They're all, they're all going posting their votes. So don't, don't say that to Nigel Farage. No, no, indeed. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what he's been complaining on. I think it must be. Oh dear. Uh, yeah. So the country is is po- you know casting their votes for um, in in a general election. So um, so the, the, so mentioning Nigel Farage at this particular moment in time is quite. Um, Quite, quite it's apt and, very much yesterday's news by the time this comes. This but yeah, exactly. So I think by the time this goes out, he'll hopefully, probably, this is yeah, he will probably story. resign from his post in the, in UKIP. But um, or he's prime minister, whichever way. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he's prime minister, mate, that that's up that's up against the wall, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Now, um, apparently, the um, the lift doors have been covered in vinyl wraps. And not hand painted, and they, our spokesman says that the costs have been pretty modest. Now, we we think that these vinyl wraps are the ones we spoke about in Omega's Tat Corn the other week. There was the fridge wraps, wasn't it? Yeah, they look very very similar. It's it's it's, it's a similar yeah thing they've used from those. Yeah, exactly. So they reckon that uh, personalising the headquarters was a bit quirky and a talking point for anyone who came into the building. Uh, though if you've just been nicked, I don't think it's going to be a talking point, really, is it? <laughs> you mean you make a break for it? I don't know. I think, I think you've probably got other things on your mind at that particular yeah. moment in time. <laughs> now, um... You're going to be found guilty and exiled to Earth. <laughs> <laughs> and forcibly have your appearance changed. Change. Yeah, that happens in the cells. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, alleged. No, no. I deeply apologise for that remark. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> now uh, next up in our offbeat news section. Um, now, who remembers the Sea Devils? We do, don't we? Yes. Yes, we remember the Sea Devils. Um, now, it's a Nigel Farage lookalike. <laughs> As we're keeping on to that sort of thing. Oh, that's that's it, mate. If he wins, we we are done. We're screwed. We're absolutely screwed. Well, actually, actually, as this doesn't go out until after we know, <laughs> nobody's going to hear this episode up by the last two. If he wins, <laughs> a bit of a hasty re-editing, weren't they? <laughs> now the um the the fault that was used uh, to pr- imprison the master, um that which is in the in the Solent. Um, it's been given a bit of a makeover. Now it's been changed into a 22 suite luxury venue. Hmm. Hmm. Now this was the Palmerston Fort, uh, which was originally built between 1867 and 1880, which was uh, to defend Portsmouth against an invasion from Napoleon. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's. I mean, the photographs. It does look rather, rather swanky, doesn't it? It does. It does. Now it's sister fault, the Spitbank Fault. Um, also got a similar makeover in 2012. And um, now it does actually say what this is being used for, but just by saying 22 suite luxury venue, it sounds like it's a hotel of some sort, doesn't it? Yeah. We're, we're assuming. It doesn't actually say, does it? Or how much these rooms are to rent or. Uh, yeah, how much. How, or, or do you have. To, uh, or are you having to actually. Do you uh, rent the whole thing for, yes. a, for a set period or. Indeed. So, but it, it, it's a, it's unique anyway. It is unique. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't mind having a look around the place. To be honest, I don't think I could afford to 
staying there for for like more more than six minutes actually. No, but... Probably no. You're probably lucky if you can get that. Exactly. Exactly. Especially saying I don't know whether you have to fly in by a helicopter because it looks like there's a couple of helicopter pads on it. And... Oh no, that's arriving in style, isn't it? Really, it is. So it, it suggests that that is your normal mode of transport if you want to stay there. Well, there, there is on the photograph. There is a boat that's sort of hoisted out of the sea, though, isn't there? So... Yeah. Whether that sort of crashes in like some sort of lifeboat. <laughs> in, case, in case you are attacked by sea devils. <laughs> I like on this particular bit where we got this story, where we got this story from. It's one of the people's comments at the bottom is, I always fancied one of these forts as a base to plan world domination. <laughs> Would I need planning permission for the laser batteries? I've designed the uniforms for my minions and everything. <laughs> So I'd rather face those ones from, from Forbidden Planet when Leslie Nielsen was still a matinee idol. <laughs> oh, dear. Then he follows it, forgive my men, miss. They've been in hyperspace for three months. <laughs> oh, dear. I don't remember that being a line, actually, about Forbidden Planet. <laughs> oh, dear. But, uh, no, well, if if we can remember to look at this again and see how much these, these uh, rooms are worth uh, to, yeah. to rent out. We, we, may, we may give you an update on how much it's going to cost do. We may do. To stay there or whatever. Now, um, before we sort of wrap up the news, we've got um, a very quick um, piece for Omicus Tech Corner. You pester me with trinkets! Now, um, this is extremely expensive tat, isn't it? It is. Yes, available from the BBC shop of all places. Um, now, it's a rather nice piece, actually, isn't it? It's a Cyberman bust, um, which has been um, originally sculpted from clay, which it says here, which allows the sculptor to be freer, giving the pieces that dynamic and organic feel. Um, the finished clay sculpt masters are then taken to be moulded, and each subsequent piece has been carefully hand-cast from this mould using ceramic polystone, which allows for the faithful reproduction of detail and texture applied to the original sculpt. Um... I'm just trying to think about a way to describe it's the, it's the new series Cyberman. It's this the Nightmare in Silver onwards Cyberman look, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it's almost like it's. Um, I'll try to describe what like it's been reconstructed from from a broken mask and that, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's quite. But the headpiece had been smashed, and somebody's tried to piece it back together again. Together. Yeah. Um, it's a nice looking piece, actually. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I could I could see it. On a on a shelf in my my place, I just yes. couldn't see myself spending two hundred and fifty pounds. Yes, folks, that's how much it will cost. You know, this is in stock now from the BBC shop. Um, it's free delivery in the UK. Um, it's ready to be dispatched, but as Paul said, it is two hundred and fifty pounds. It's a lot of money. It's nice, but crikey, I couldn't. It's, just... it's reasonable, reasonable size. <laughs> It's you know it's nearly what fifty centimeters tall and yeah um, yes its so. height is four hundred eighty millimeters length three hundred twenty millimeters depth two hundred thirty millimeters so it's a nice um, sort of three D sculpture isn't it yes it's definitely a talking point it is um, probably more than the lift doors in Durham Police HQ but yes. um, yeah I, I just can't justify that price no. I really can't. That that is really really expensive. But um, but all these sort of things usually are though for some reason, aren't they? Yeah, I, I suppose it depends on how many have been made as well. Yeah, it? it doesn't actually say whether no. it's um, um, a, a limited piece or anything, does it? No. Um, or whether he's just going to knock them out for as many as he can sell. Yes, but uh, well, there's a few reviews of here on here as well, and it's and one of them says that he wasn't sure what what he was expecting when he took delivery of it. Um, this is something that was maybe the size of... Holding his bank account. Oh, no, exactly. Yeah, um, he says maybe the size of his head. Was it a 1-1 scale item? Um, he said the thing that surprised was the weight of the box. Far heavier than expected. Um, and he said the best moment we came when he, when he opened the packaging. He said, wow, was definitely the word. It's absolutely superb. Looks fantastic. It's huge. And truly it is a work of art. So uh, that's a glowing endorsement, actually, isn't it? Yes. And other people have gone to say that you know it's awesome. It was bigger than they expected. Yeah. So it's. Uh, I mean, it sounds you like can't it's. Can't get better than that. You can exactly. You can't. Now that's an endorsement. <laughs> yeah. Um. But again, not a two hundred and fifty quid. No. No. Not not unless anyone would like to buy it for me. I was going to say yes. yes. Yeah. He <laughs> would accept it as a gift. Exactly. Right? I would be gratefully received. They won't. <laughs> and the cost won't even come into it then. <laughs> 
Oh dear. Okay. Um, that's it for the news. That's it for Tats, uh, Tats Corner. Tats Corner. I was going to say them. <laughs> so, <laughs> Tats Corner. Um, so coming up next is our review of Doctor Who and the Dinosaur Invasion. So for another week, then that was the news. <laughs> Right, everybody, it's time for another Target review, and this time we are doing Doctor Who and the Dinosaur Invasion. Uh, this one is written by Malcolm Hulk, which is adapted from his own script, as well, when, he, when it was known as Doctor Who and the Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Um, and it's your turn. Or Invasion. Or Invasion, or invasion for the first episode, indeed. Um, which, the, <laughs> which the Radio Times gave away, didn't they? Yeah. In, in, in the little cartoon drawing they did, which featured dinosaurs in it. So, <laughs> um, anyway, it's your turn to kick this off, isn't it, Paul? It is. Yes. yes. What do you think? Um, but it was sort of my choice to do this, wasn't it? It was. Yes. And just because it is one of my favourite stories, mine as well. Mine as well. And I wanted to see whether I could enjoy it even more without <laughs> very <laughs> badly manoeuvred dinosaurs yes. appearing on screen. <laughs> The problem is now that they're so fixed into my head that I think I actually saw even in my imagination they looked like that. I, I, I that's that's the problem because I, I um I read the book um fairly quickly actually um and then I watched the you know the DVD so we can get the, the comparisons um yeah and it is unfortunate that you you cannot get those dinosaurs out of your minds even when you read right. the book it's just it's so ingrained isn't it and it's such yeah. a it's such a pity, but um, I'm, I'm hoping you're going to say, Paul, you you able to see beyond no, the bad I always, I always have with this, actually. I mean, yeah. this is just this is one of the 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 best stories, I think. Yeah, just more because of the actual the the plot twists and where it suddenly it's the, the 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 surprise of where you go with certain characters that you thought you knew. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I don't even know if we have to bother to say spoilers on this because if you haven't seen this or read the book by now, then well, give up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, give up, exactly. Now, this was actually, before we go any further, this book was actually released or first released in uh, 1976, which was what, two years after this was broadcast, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, and actually, I mean, it's, it's sad really that, that, that um, this particular story was the last story that Malcolm Hulk wrote for the TV series. So that, I mean, he's still involved in, in the, you know, the novelisations, but he didn't actually write anything else for Doctor Who TV-wise after this story. Um, which is a shame, because he, his scripts were always... He tried to do a little bit more than that. He, he was very intelligent. There's always had like a, like a conscience, a social conscience to yeah. his scripts, didn't they? I mean, even now they're still thought-provoking. They I mean, are. There's, there's, there's yeah. lots in this that you could actually... If you wanted to reshoot this now, you could basically do it with the same, exactly the same script. You could, and yeah. you, it, it, most of it would stand up even more now. Well, I think all the sort of um, concerns that sort of uh, sort of Pertwee's era of Doctor's tried to address, you know, like you know, with um, this particular story, it's all about you know the planets being ruined. Um, we had the Green Death again. It was all about pollution, so yeah. and it's still topics that are relevant today. Yeah, you know, as they weren't, you know, forty years ago. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I've always enjoyed Malcolm Hulk's stories. Always have done. Um, so, what what do you think of the actual the book then? Because it does start off differently, doesn't it? Yeah, I actually, yeah. Well, I once you get past the little bit about. The, the history of dinosaurs, you mean, as well? Yes, history of dinosaurs first. Yeah, they start off as little rubber pu- glove puppets. So. <laughs> no, um, they start off in a workshop at a bad special effects company, <laughs> or, or a special effects company with very little money. Come yes, on, let's, let's give them some. Some. You know, well, no. The, the, put it this way, because I think because because on the DVD document, just that they they shut up shop not long after this, did they? <laughs> Yeah, this probably wasn't the calling card they hoped. Was no, it, it really? wasn't. Really, wasn't. It really wasn't. But um, but no. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it starts. I mean, the, the whole thing with the the people, the the man coming down from Scotland for the football match. Now, actually, that that did make me chuckle. That did make me chuckle because it was um, it was straight out of the page of Rob Roy the way they spoke, wasn't it? Yeah. 
Um, and also, to, and of course, being a Scotsman, he was roaring drunk as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not stereotypical at all, no, was it? Wasn't, it wasn't, was it? <laughs> oh, dear. It was lots of Disney and Canet, and it was all that, you know. <laughs> and, and, and he opened another bottle of whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was it. That was the thing that made me laugh the most because he he made no attempt to leave the house to find any food because oh there was a, there was loads of booze in there to have first <laughs> until until the the alcohol and the tinned food run out. He was quite happy being the only person living, wasn't he? <laughs> oh dear. Um, it's all the thing is though this this little bit was almost like a non sequitur really because it, it had no bearing on the story whatsoever, did it? No. Because um, well, it, it sort of does it because uh, there is the bit, isn't it, where you've got sort of the milk floats and the the cash sprawled across the pavement. Yeah, which you see in the opening scenes of um, the, t- so, the TV so this, version. Yeah, this sort of leads up to that, doesn't it? Um, it does. Um, it talk- I mean, it's, it's the only bit that actually talks about uh, which you don't get is actually the people being evacuated mm. or, or how quickly they was they they was evacuated. Yeah. As in, you know, you sort of got the idea from the fact that there was stuff left on the TV. That you know, there was stuff left the, the just running like, and you, whatever. You, you but... can you can still have that description without, without the addition of a drunk Scotsman, <laughs> 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 who, who then immediately gets killed off. <laughs> yes. So that's what I mean. That it, it was and as soon as he starts to sober up, then he's killed by a dinosaur. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's just like any night out in Glasgow, isn't it? So, <laughs> we've all done it, haven't we? Woke we've up. all done it, yeah. Woken up and get killed by a dinosaur. <laughs> and there's no food or drink left. <laughs> and <laughs> gone out and killed by a dinosaur. <laughs> of course, we do apologise to all our Scottish listeners, but blame Malcolm Hulk for this. <laughs> it, it is, I mean, for somebody who's <laughs> had this sort of, you know, left wing and. Mm. To a certain extent, and a public conscience to, to really go with a stereotypical Scotsman. I suppose he wants to wear a tam and a kilt as well. <laughs> oh, crikey. Because it didn't, it really could have been anybody, couldn't it? It could, it could have, have been. There was yeah. no reason why it had to be a drunken Scotsman. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, and anyway, it was also left behind by his mates. Yes, as well. They come down for the football or whatever, whatever it was. Um, yeah, they'd come, they'd come down for the match, and then yeah, <laughs> he wakes up in a house that he has no idea what's happening. What's happening? His friends are leaving, and he decides, "I just turn over and go, go back, back to, to sleep." sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. So anyway, um, after we move on from the drunk Scotsman, um, it's sort of business as usual, really, isn't it? It pretty much keeps start. I mean, that th- you do get the references to how quickly they everything. Everyone left. Yeah. Um, when they're the doctor and Sarah Jane are, are first on foot, wandering through the Acton, as we find out, we find out it's Acton they're in. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Because uh, in the the jewellers, which we get in the shop, um, where they get they meet the the gunman. Yes. After he's gone, rather than them walking off with the bag to the police station, as they do in the in the TV suit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, uh, they look up in the the book to find out where they are and work out how far they've got to walk. Yeah. Which I suppose is works in a book, but it wouldn't really work in um you know the action packed Pertwee era really, would it? No. The interesting thing in in the in the book in oh sorry, in the T V that doesn't in the book, the phones don't work. Yes. They do in the T V. It just they rings, do. doesn't it? It just rings they... out, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it just keeps ringing and ringing. Um well, Which makes that... more sense that they don't work. To it be it does, yeah. Yeah, because surely the the police would at least have diverted the phones to. We would have thought so. Wherever they were, rather than just generally nine nine nine. Now doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing at all. No, no fire brigade, ambulance, nothing. But um, yeah, but I mean, it, it doesn't sort of really. The actual plot itself doesn't really change at all in the book, does it? No. Um, There's no. There's there's nothing there's no major wholesale changes which I suppose it's sort of par for the course with um, the target books. But I actually found there was actually mm. strangely there's there was more I thought in the TV than there perhaps was even in the book. Okay, yeah. 
which, which would you care to elaborate? You don't normally get. Well, I mean, not notwithstanding the fact that, of course, you've you've got in the in the TV, you've got the added Pertwee of the the chase in the jeep through some common somewhere, and yes, yes, fighting soldiers and whatever. Ah, now actually, t- talking of while we're on the subject of uh, Pertwee or the Third Doctor driving, the biggest omission from the book there is no Hoomerbill. No. That it's replaced with a motorcycle. Yeah. Which, again, which, is still very, very Third Doctor, is it? Or very Pertwee, I should say. Which, actually, bizarrely from this... Well, because Pertwee's was the... The Hoomerville was Was Pertwee, his, wasn't, wasn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, didn't particularly go down with... It didn't go down to where with Paddy Russell, and it was sort of like, no. oh, we have to indulge John Pertwee again, yeah, so... And it obviously didn't go down too well with Malcolm Hulk, either. No. Um, yeah, but the only thing about that, though, was the fact that... In in the book, the reason he's on a motorbike is because it was the easiest way to travel around London, <laughs> which I can understand rush hour London that being the case, but a London with nobody else in it. Yeah, unless unless I don't know, it was alluding he's, to the, he's going through alleyways. I don't and, know. Lots of abandoned cars blocking the streets or something. I I don't know. Yeah, but, I don't uh, know. Yeah, but um, yeah, but no no Hoomerville, that which was probably um. I think it made more sense, really, because it, it, it that was, as you was we said that was just featured just to satisfy Pertwee really more than yeah. anything else. But you got the fear that that was that was his taking over a bit, wasn't it? There? It was. It really was. But um, so. you also in the book don't get probably one of my favourite little scenes, mm. which is when after you get you get the scene where Benton lets the Doctor escape. Yeah, yeah, and that's pretty much. To the book, mm. to, the, to the same as the TV. Is, yeah. But yes. what you don't get is then the general coming back and accusing Benton of being a traitor. You don't get in the book. Uh, no, you don't actually, do you? No. Which then means you don't get the scene. My favourite scene is the brigadier and Benton, where the brig- brigadiers eyeing him up, trying to they're eyeing each other up, trying to work out whether they're both on the same side. That's right. Yeah. You. Which I think is actually one of my favourite scenes from this. Yeah. I mean, what you, what you really don't get from the book is you don't get Nicholas Courtney. No, you don't, do you? And I think this is also one of my favourite episodes just for him, stories for him. Well, I, I, I mean, just some of his looks and well, it's, it's whatever. An, just... It's an interesting story um, for the Brigadier because after like a few stories of him being turned into an idiot, yeah, in this he's not. No, I don't think he is. It's almost back to the old Brigadier again. Um, he's, he, other than the blind spot with Captain Yates, which you could which you could very much imagine as yeah. you know a person who'd been his right hand man for so long. Yeah, the way he 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 takes charge at the end mm. and stands up to the the book puts the general that, the book puts that across much better that standoff yeah. be- between him and General Finch in the jeeps. Yeah, that's much better done in the book. It really is. You you do get more that it does almost um to the my, fact that he he is basically standing up for for right there. Yeah. Despite because he knows he's right and because he knows what's going on by Well, that. it does it does sound like a um when you sort of read it it's, it comes across more as like a, a like a um a spaghetti western sort of standoff. Sort of thing, yeah. And it's it's and it comes across in the, in the book better where he sort of just signals to Benton to stand up, and he's and he's got the machine gun because I think in the book the driver of General Finch's jeep isn't holding the machine guns in the TV he is, and I think in the yeah. book it's put across that Finch has got his weapon drawn to about to shoot the Doctor. He's got his revolver out, hasn't got, he? exactly. And then so the, so, brig- yeah, the, bri- and the brigadier signals Benton who's got a submachine gun. Um, so basically, he's, he's outgunned out- exactly. Which yeah. you can imagine the brigadier. That's a typical brigadier manoeuvre, isn't it? Yeah. Suddenly realises that he's got the upper hand in terms of firepower. Firepower. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I really, I, I prefer. And that. you know, and you'd know he wouldn't be afraid to do it either. <laughs> exactly. Or to order it to order yeah. him to do it in that um, situation. Now, now the, the other thing that's um, as as everyone should know that Captain Yates is a, is the traitor um, in in this story and. Um, in the TV version, it's addressed because is it was it Benson says to the brigadier, what, "What's going to happen to Captain Yates?" Yeah, and he says, "Oh well, um, it'll be 
given a sort of like extended period, extended period of leave, leave and, and allowed to resign quiet. quietly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the best we can do for him. That's but, not yeah, mentioned no, actually, at all in the book, no. is it? No, he actually says it's the best I could do for him. That's it. That's it. The best I could do. Um, so obviously, which, which again, but... I, which I love about the brigadier. Yeah. You know, he he looks after. You know, he's very very curt and he's a he's a professional soldier, but he does look after his men, doesn't he? He realizes that no matter Yates was doing what he thought was best for humanity, yeah, but had not crossed the line in terms of well, I suppose he does cross the line in terms of the fact he's going to let everyone die. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. In in terms of of them, you never he did try to stop them just killing people. Exactly. Yeah, he, w- he would have no part in that, would he? No, because he said we'd be no better than the people we're trying to. Yeah. You know, trying to replace. Yeah, but I say, in, I mean, the, the ending of the book, I know we're skipping right ahead here because now we're talking about, you know, the, the exit of Captain Yates. Um, the the book ends up with the Doctor reading from the Book of Ezekiel. <laughs> yeah. Which is so un-Third Doctor. Yes. That, that was a, that was a, I think that was probably the only misstep, I feel, of the book was that. Yeah, I mean, I suppose what it's trying to say is it, it's trying to explain the facts of because that because that to me is like the ending of the um, the nineteen fifties film of um, World of the Worlds. Yeah, that Whitaker where, where, and Grover where, could have gone into the past and not changed that much. Yeah, because there are always stories from the past of people. Yeah, exactly. But I was about to say to me, it's like the the ending of the nineteen fifties World of the Worlds. Um, movie where they they did away with the whole it was um, germs that did it. it it was it was God that that, that killed the Martian um, mm. and and that, to me that it sort of came across a bit like that it's sort of like you know it was they they became part of religious history or something you know it, it was um, I just, yeah, I I just I, found I, it, I just I'm not it sure if it was end. necessarily I'm not sure if it was necessarily saying that they were they were the the characters that was mentioned in the Bible I think he was just it was supposed to be the Doctor just saying, look, you can go, here's one of the oldest books going. Mm. And there's talk of people from a different place and a different time perhaps in there. So who's to say that there haven't been? Yeah, I, I just it doesn't seem to be a very Third Doctor thing to do, really. Because, I mean, Pertwee's Doctor, he is a scientist. He would scoff at stuff like that, wouldn't he? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's that's why it didn't. It, it, it was it, to me. It was a little bit of a misstep with the character there. Yeah, I mean, no, no, I don't know. I mean, I can see. I can see what you're. That... I can see what you're saying, but I just can't imagine um, Pertwee's Doctor picking up any religious book at all. Well, without wanting to get into a conversation on religion, really, here. Yeah. Um, you would say it's not unusual for for Pertwee's Doctor yeah. to understand the. Myths and legends, can we say? Possibly, of, of, yeah. Of, of different planets. <laughs> yes, okay, okay. So, it wouldn't be unusual for him to know the story of the Bible. Yes, okay. I'll, 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 I'll accept that, I'll accept that, yeah. I'm not saying he'd necessarily have read it and believed it, but he would have done from a point of view of what do these people believe as an interest in the population of a planet and its beliefs that he might have read it. Mm, okay. Okay. Sure. And he's been stuck on Earth for a while. He, he has been, yeah. He must have been wanting must have been getting through <laughs> reading material quite quickly. Truly the choice though, it's sort of um I, when I was reading it as well, I also thought of those um those Cecil B. DeMille re, re, you know, religious um extravaganzas always on at Easter. And it always ends with that that sort of um that sort of ecclesiastical soul music, didn't they? So when it's sort of, um, sort of truly, you are the son of God. It's all that sort of stuff, and you get the the music and the film with ends, and, and I can imagine that music playing in the background as as Pert was reading from the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Um, but anyway, um, anyway, m- m- moving backwards now, actually, which is quite absent. The book is all about traveling, taking the whole planet back in time. Um, Oh, that was smooth. It was smooth, wasn't it? Oh, see, this is, this is all this this is all planned out. There's nothing there's, there's nothing unrehearsed here, you know. <laughs> there's no there's no ad libs. This is all this is all perfectly timed. Um, 
Now, what, what the one character I, I, I loved in, in both versions, actually, is um, Charles Grover. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is about that character. He's technically the bad guy, but he's probably the most amiable bad guy there's ever been in Doctor Who, I think. Yeah, and it, 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 is, it is somebody who's doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. reasons. Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing about all of them. They're all doing... Yeah, you know, you know the the wrong thing for the right reasons, aren't they? They're they're all, um, all the people apart from Professor Whitaker. Yeah, who's who's doing it to for, for the to glory. prove everybody else that he could do it? Exactly, exactly. Who um, we'll come on to um, later because there's quite a few different sort of character changes in this as well, isn't there? Yeah, you picked up more than I did. I think. Yeah, yeah, um, but we'll, we'll come to them later. Um, but so Charles Grover is basically the same in the TV version and the book as well. Um, yeah. But I think in the book he'd come over even more amiable. Yeah. Actually. And I think if you hadn't have seen the TV version up until this point, and quite possibly you hadn't if you were in this in 1976, it hadn't been repeated since uh, since its first broadcast at that time. Um, if you were reading this for the first time, you'd probably think, oh, you know, Sir Charles Grover is a good egg and um, he's going to be an ally for, for the Doctor and Unit. And of course, you find out he isn't. But when you I mean, find... you, you do sort of have the same experience as, as um, Sarah Jane in this, don't you? In the fact yeah, that you do. You, you you get pretty surprised by the the people that suddenly turn out to be on the wrong side. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's a, it's a nice little rug pull. Yeah. Though I mean, this this I mean, this story's got so many twists and turns anyway, um, and people you would not believe are behind all this. I mean, can you imagine people watching this in 1974 or reading it in 1976 and, and you find that Captain Yates is a traitor? Yeah. You know, you, you sort of watch these this character. He's been an ally of the Doctor all this time. And all of a sudden, you find that he's a traitor. Um, again, that, that must have been a real sort of gut punch to people at the time. Yeah. It must have been. Maybe not Maybe not so I... much when you got the character of Charles Grove, but, you know, Captain Yates is one of the good guys. You know? I tend to... I tend to... It, it seemed to give more impact on me with the TV one. Mm. So I'm trying to now remember how we first get how he's first introduced in in the book, and if it is the same. But it's certainly the, the bit in the in the TV stands out more about where Butler turns around to Whitaker and says, "The man from Units here." Yeah, and then he said, well, "You know," then then he walks Yates, mm. which you're sort of oh, right. Exactly, and that sort of hit me more in the TV than it did in the book. I think. Yeah, well, maybe it's because we knew what was coming. I think maybe might have sort of lessened the impact of that somewhat. No, but e- but even actually having when I, how we, how I approached this was reading the book, then watching it again. Yeah, yes, exactly. even I having just yeah. read the book, it still made an impact on me mm. when I watched it. So I don't I don't know whether that's just how visual things attach. Yeah, yeah. More significance um, to me. I don't know. Now the, another. Um, another actually cat- talk, talking about. Sorry, oh, I can't keep on this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> even even General Finch in the book comes across as a more sympathetic character. He does when, actually. When he, I mean, I mean, I like John Bennett's portrayal of um, General Finch in the TV. Yeah, you, you're never quite sure what he's up. Is he just a professional soldier following or carrying out orders or? And then when he's at those bits with Sarah Jane, when he's when he's given her the pass, he's yeah. quite friendly. Yeah. And when he goes, which you don't the, get, which you don't get in the TV, do you? Because it's it's well, uh, know, Gates that works out the. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Um, no. It's, I think it's when he, he is Yates gets her the pass. Doesn't Yates still get her the pass in the book, or was that was that Finch? That's Finch. Is that Finch in the book? Yeah. Ah, oh, yes. I couldn't remember. Because I know, because in the TV version, he arranges for his driver to take her to see Grover. Yeah, but in that scene, he comes across quite friendly and helpful. Yeah, and and, and even in the bit actually, once he's you get he's been unmasked, and it's actually when him and Sarah Jane go to Grover's office. Yeah, where she thinks she's showing him, uh, proving to him that Grover's the the bad guy. Yeah, and he's just you know going along before he just to get evidence before he goes back and. Accuses Grover of being, mm. and she, they they go down the lift, and she he suddenly pulls out the gun, and it's the I've got to pick my friends more carefully. Yeah, even there he's sort of sympathetic and to her. 
It's not the. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. I honestly can't remember um, that bit from the book, to be honest. Normally, if I'd flagged this up, I'd have been able to read you the bit. But yeah, Yeah. there's something about, you know, a kindness in his eyes, even though he's having to. Having to, yeah, hold at gunpoint, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But he's doing it because he has to rather than any overriding feeling that he wants to. Yeah, I I still think it's a well written character. I think, yeah. I think, actually, you know what? I think they're all well-written characters. Yes, yeah. to be honest, I really do. Um, now, another um, character who had a bit of a, a sort of a, a different to TV version is the character of Butler, who was yes. played by Martin Jarvis um, in the TV series. Now, in the TV series, you have a, a young, fresh-faced Martin Jarvis, but in the book, you, the Butler is um, well, his face is quite um, scarred, isn't it? Yeah. Um, now you found something out about this. Well, why Malcolm Holt decided to make his the well, there, there was something he, face, he, he spoke about in the Doctor Who magazine back in 1984. Yeah, where he talks about the fact that obviously on TV you can see the character, mm. but in a book you've got to describe it from the point of view of the people seeing him rather than you being able to see him. Yeah. And if you're talking about somebody coming into a room, how do you, how does that character? How do you explain to the people who that character is when the character through which eyes you're seeing it doesn't know? And there's a particular point actually. Thinking back to the book on this, it's the the scene where Grover calls in his, his chauffeur, mm-hmm. and in the obviously in the TV thing. When Martin Jarvis walks in, you, go, you there's a sort of ah oh, right, okay. Well, even then they try to disguise it in the TV version because they always see the back of his head. But it's obviously it's obvious who it is, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And and that. Whereas, <clears throat> obviously, how do you if you're not going to actually turn around and say he's not actually going to be called the butler in that? How do you describe that in the book? Hmm. The only way you can say this is the same character that was with Whitaker earlier on is give him a. It's a given distinguishing some sort of, mark. Yeah, exactly. Of some sort. Yeah. Now, there's only there, there's another sort of character misbeat for me. Actually. But actually, sorry, before we go on to this, can, can we just go the following onto this? That's well, in the well, book. Actually, actually, it was about the, the it was to do with Butler's scar. Was I was going to talk about anyway? But yeah, carry on, carry on. Yeah. Um, bit you get in the book where. Butler is looking up Sarah Jane That's in the cupboard. That's what I was going to say. That, yeah, you beat me to it. Go on. Right, okay. Yeah. Right, right. Sorry. Yeah. 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 It is just the fact that I'm really not sure about the reaction in that. From Sarah Jane? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the what I was, of, I was going to say. That's the character know, saying, saying, Why would really you was. want to still have yeah. that? You know? It was that sort of, well, you know, why not accept it? It made Sarah Jane really unsympathetic. Yeah, because she's and then what made it worse then <clears throat> is the fact that it comes across that she obviously thought he got it in a fight. Yeah, you then find out that it was because he was in the fire brigade and had fallen through glass roof saving a child. Yeah, and then that sort of made it all right for her. And you're thinking, well, it was it was. That's what I'm saying. It was a character misbeat. It was something that Sarah yeah. Jane would never have said. Yeah. She would never have said that. Um, and she was openly sort of mocking him about his scar. Yeah. Wasn't she? And then he said, well, I actually got this from, oh, I used to be a fireman. And, you know, he yeah. gave the reason how, he, how he, he, he came to have that scar. And immediately Sarah Jane felt bad yeah. for saying it. But she should never have said it in the first place. No. Yeah. What Really, yeah. What, what, what point with that? Was there anything... That she needed to get involved in. Yeah, exactly. Now another a character changer right at the very end of the book um, was the Ruth character because in yeah. the, in the book she was like, well, just pull the switch then, let's do it. Yeah, she was quite willing to sacrifice everybody. She come across as more of of, of a um, committed to the calls more than she did she did come across in the in the TV series once it was she found out what was really going on. Because yeah. in the book, once she found out was going, and they weren't in space, they were going to roll back time. She was, well, just go and do it then. It's all for the greater good. And and well, <clears> actually, <throat> you get you get sort of a a split between the the people, don't you? You do, yeah. In in the in on the TV, they are the villagers with the flaming torches, aren't they? They <laughs> are. 
yeah. <laughs> attacking the castle, so to speak. <laughs> but in in the book, that they're, they're very much a case of some are yes and some are no, aren't they? They are, and I think but yeah. Ruth is in the very much in the she camp, be, yeah. leading yeah. the camp of well, let's just do it anyway. And Adam, yeah, he's well, no, we've got to stop now. You know, this is this is immoral. Um, so I just, I'm not I, sure if he's ever. If, does he get a name or not? I can't remember. But the, the bank manager, who seems more interested in the fact that, well, we'll do it now because I've sold my house. <laughs> That's right, he does. He's, he's, he's sold off all his worldly possessions. And, well, we'll just do it then. <laughs> I've got nothing to lose <laughs> I've got nothing to go back to, so we might as well kill everyone. Come on. <laughs> I don't know whether that was some Malcolm Hulk's view of bankers at that time. Maybe well. it was. Which, which, again, probably wouldn't be out of place if you then made this now. It wouldn't be, really, would it? It really wouldn't. Um, now, before we got, obviously get on to the, you know, the dinosaurs um, and how they fit into the story and how well they worked in the book, there's one other character um, change I want, I want to discuss, and that's Professor Whitaker. Now, yes. reading all his scenes in the book, there's something I, I, I think that Malcolm Hart changed about the character. You didn't pick up on this, did you? No. And we discussed this before we, we started recording. I wanted to put this across to, to Paul first before... I sort of caught him off guard with, with this particular thing. Now, I think, to me, it was obvious. Malcolm Hulk um, made the character Professor Whitaker in the book. He Professor Whitaker was gay. Okay. Now, the reason I say that it was, it's again, it's to going back to Butler. Again, he was. There's a bit in the book. He's saying he was looking at Butler's face. And he said he'd be quite handsome without the scar. And you think, okay, that's just a general observation. Yeah. Um. Then when um, Captain Yates walks in the room later on, he's all very much, oh dear boy, he's all very sort of very overly pleased to, to, to you know to see him. And then there's another bit we mentions Malcott writes about um, Professor Whitaker's hands, are sort of like um, he's always got like manicured, polished nails. They're not saying that's an indication you're gay, but I think this is an indication you're gay in the 1970s. That's how I think gay people or, or gay men were written, I think. Because all you had to compare that to was John Inman, really, and are you being served, I think, really. Um, but then later on, Whitaker remarks that, um, or thinks to himself, the Doctor was quite a, quite a handsome fellow. And it seemed to be that any sort of man he came across, he thought they were handsome. Or if they didn't have a scar, they would be handsome. But then there's also all the male, other male characters in the book... They were repulsed by Professor Whitaker. They gave him the, they all, they all, he gave them all the creeps, basically, mm. which was sort of that that the reaction of sort of like hetero man of the seventies. Um, and it just seemed to be to me, it just seemed to be a very very nineteen seventies view of 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 a gay man and a hetero man's reaction to him. I mean, he could have just been down in that bunker for quite a long while. <laughs> No what? female company at all. And the nights get lonely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, you don't know how you'd react at six months down in a nuclear bunker. No, I'll be interested if anyone else has read this book, and we 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 don't get feedback for our podcast at all. We don't usually no. ask for it anyway. But I would be interested to know if anyone else had picked that up in the book, or after listening to me just describe it. Whether they, it, that sort of thing, oh yeah, maybe it is, or maybe you think, no, I'm completely wrong. But to me, it just came out. But okay, maybe the, the way it was, it was written, it very much reflects the time. But I think it was quite a a bold thing to do, if that was the intention. I mean, you do in the book get a lot of the fact that they have to massage his ego. Yeah, all very much so because it's all very much. He, he want as you, we said earlier, he wants to be. He wants to be the one to make this work. He wants to be the leader in his field. Yeah, and he's the only one who can do it. Yes, And they exactly. have to keep telling him that yeah. he's the only one that can do it to, yeah. to get him really to, to play along, yeah. almost. It is really, isn't it? I mean, that, yeah. that, that comes across really well in the book, actually, and it, it's another good little character twist. Yeah. Um, but, but the whole thing about him being gay, re- I mean, to me, it just leapt off the page. But I think it was it was a it was a, a very interesting and bold thing to do for the, for the time. Yeah, I mean, it, 
it if, obviously if, wasn't if that was the case if yeah, that's what I he mean, intended if, yeah if, if that's what, i mean it obviously at least he didn't stereotype it as much as he's scotsman <laughs> no at least the professor was <laughs> otherwise you would have had john inman down there wouldn't you <laughs> <laughs> oh dear but anyway, anyway, um, that, that's that's how I, I I read it. Anyway, I was just thinking. It, yes, you know, Whitaker gets up in his pink safari suit. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it certainly didn't need that. No, he didn't have him dressed like Quentin Crisp, did he? No, so, no. Um, no. I mean, it, it, if that's that, if, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, I, I can sort of see where you're saying this. It, like I say, it, it still doesn't necessarily convince me. Doesn't convince totally you? No. That, but, maybe go. I'm, I'm, I mean, go, Paul, go. Too- Go back and read it again. <laughs> yes. Okay. Now, um, I think the last thing I actually really want to bring up in this is the dinosaurs. Yeah. Which don't get a lot of description, really, do they? No, I was actually going to say that this is the fact. What I wanted to read this book was the fact that I actually wanted to be frightened by the dinosaurs. Mm. Yeah. Or at least, you know, get the feeling of people being frightened by the dinosaurs. Yeah. But you really don't get... You actually get more descriptions from the dinosaurs' point of view you do. when they arrive than you do from the soldiers' point of view. Yeah, you do, don't you? But it's all um, it's you get re- the, the small the small creature gets out of a a, a, a small a small creature. One 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 thing where it, it describes where the doctor arrives in a jeep. Yeah, and it says, "What is it?" I think it's the Stegosaurus, isn't it, or something? Yeah. A small creature arrives, and an even smaller creature climbs out. Yeah, so you, you're seeing you're seeing the action from the dinosaur's point of view. But, yeah, but if you're expecting more dinosaur and dinosaur fighting action, yeah, um, from the book, um, prepare to be severely disappointed. Yeah, because all you get is a lot of um, dinosaur tail wagging and and collateral damage caused by dinosaurs. Wagging their tails, which is what you get in the TV series, because that's yeah. about all they could get the puppets to do was wag their tails. Um, yeah, you don't, yeah. You don't, I mean, yeah, the most violent the dinosaurs get is to our poor Scotsman at the beginning, <laughs> and after that, really, they don't. Miss- oh no! Well, actually, the other the the other bit of this book that mm. was probably slightly probably the most. Where you get the feeling of of everything going wrong was the, was about the children on the heath. Yeah, came back. They were the first ones to see dinosaurs and come back and tell their parents. That's right. Yeah, and then go back and are never seen again. again. Yeah, that's pretty grim, isn't it? Yeah, that is pretty grim. Something you could not get away with um, on the telly yeah. in nineteen seventy no. in the nineteen seventies. You couldn't get away with it now. I mean, no. I, know, I know we 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 sort of said um, when we did school reunion, the first scene ends with the death of a child. Yeah, basically when um, uh, um, Anthony Head's character um, yeah sort of eats her, but now they would not do that. No, they they really wouldn't, um, and they certainly would not do that in the nineteen seventies. Definitely not. Not, not on it, TV it, anyway. But it was good in the book to set. You can understand now the hysteria that made everyone clear out so quickly. Yes. Yes. Once, once news stories that children are being killed, eaten, eaten, killed, whatever, yeah, mauled, by these creatures, yeah. Then, yeah, it, everybody. If you're being told get out of the place, you're going to go, aren't you? You are. You really are. Just leave everything and go. Yeah. So, I mean, apart from okay, it, it didn't enhance the dinosaur experience too much, but I don't I mean, think I don't think this story is really about the dinosaurs. No, I mean at, at all, at, is it? It's, it's As just... the doctor keeps telling everyone, yes, <laughs> it's true. He does, isn't he? Yeah, the dinosaurs are a byproduct. Ignore them and work out what's really going on. Yeah, and to be honest, if, if ever so, the, the the writer wanted to narrate, don't please don't take any notice of this. That's how you can see. <laughs> Concentrate on my story. Well, he, well, he, well, he did. He's giving him, he? given his main character his voice, hasn't he? Yeah, he didn't write it with dinosaurs in his first. Um... His first draft, did he? That was that was yeah. forces on him by the BBC. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's uh, yeah. So he didn't really expand anything there. Um, but I think what he he did expand on characters. He he sort of changed certain characters' reactions to certain situations for better or worse. And it's still it's still a really really entertaining story. Yeah, I mean it, it, it is. It's just a good story with plenty of twists. Yeah, 
Um, it really is. Highly recommend this one, I'm going to say. Yeah. Highly yeah. recommended. You know, that'll be sort of. You know the plot of this anyway, you know. Um, so, you know, but just go and read it. It's a, it's a really interesting book to read. It really yeah. is. And um, yeah, I think we should leave that there. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Now, uh, what's coming up next on the Who's podcast? We're back to our Series 2 retrospective, aren't we? We are. We are. So um, we're up to Age of Steel, I believe. Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, we had to wake you, make you uh, wait um, a month to, to uh, cover this two-part story. So, Gripped. Gripped, <laughs> yes. Yes. Wait till we bated breath. I bet you all yes. are at home there. Um, yes. So there you are. So that's what's coming up next um, on the Who's podcast. Oh, well. I look forward to talking about that one. Yes. Yes, because there was stuff I was dying to say that I couldn't say in the first part. So, <laughs> Oh, dear. Right. <laughs> you heard the first part, it be more of the same. Yes, probably. <laughs> okay, everybody. So, uh, until next week, then, it is goodbye from me, Phil. And goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye. to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who podcast alliance. Who's He podcast.